Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is The Art of Awesome, episode number 222. You know, high performance sometimes can really come from really healthy, high standards and like values-based action. But a lot of the time, it also comes from this fight or flight perfectionism. You know, every time I make a mistake or don't do as well as I know I could, the self-critique can be unrelenting. And we know that, you know, athletes and people at the top end of their performance, but as well just in the general population, we really commonly beat ourselves up when there's a disappointing result and we tend to be our own worst critic. Um, and, and often as well, people will also think that it's that's what makes them successful, that that critical part is what makes them courageous or is what will make them work harder. But we've got that wrong. Courage doesn't come from beating yourself with a stick. Courage really does come from motivating yourself with a much different system. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Art of Awesome podcast. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome Today is Monday, and I'm pretty fired up. I'm I'm definitely energetic uh, this Monday morning. But today, I've got a deep dive interview as we bring back Susanna Kindred um, back onto the show. This is an awesome interview. Susanna is a clinical psychologist and performance mindset coach, and we talk all about her three pillars of mindfulness and being present, um, purposefulness and just emotion and then compassion and how these three pillars really help us with um, high performance and yeah, just helping us being our best. We also, uh, as just a heads up, we'll, we'll dive more into compassion and n- deeper into the second half of the show and really um, talk about how that is really one of the biggest keys to success and kind of like a secret sauce for many people, just whether you're an athlete, high performer, or a parent. We talk about how this can really just help in parenting and a lot about just self-compassion and how we speak to ourselves, whether this be in, again, in performance, in athletics, in work, in everyday life. So a lot of amazing stuff that we talk about and very excited to share this conversation with you. So let's wait no longer and jump right into it. Here is Susanna Kindred. Susanna, welcome back to the Art of Awesome podcast. I'm stoked to have you back here on the podcast, and I'm actually stoked to be pronouncing your name right this time because um, sounds like I maybe mispronounced that last time. So I'm going to do my best to call you Susanna the whole time, especially for the for the Aussie crowds that um, maybe picked up on that on our last interview. How are you doing? I'm really good. It's early morning here, so this is a very energetic way to start the day. <laughs> it's like evening here, and so I'm all jacked up. I just went for a paddle, and uh, yeah, I'm 
I'm definitely full of energy. So I'm I'm going to be waking up your your morning this morning, which is good because you're probably going to be calming down my evening with some like some good uh mindfulness and and different things like that. So hopefully it'll be a good balance. Good. Yeah, yeah I'll wind down your day with my soothing dulcet tones. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> well, for a, as a bit of a recap for anybody who maybe missed our last interview, um Susanna, you are a clinical psychologist and performance mindset coach. And on our last podcast, um, you spoke about mental coaching and your three pillars to sustainable high performance. And I thought maybe a great way to start off would be to kind of go back and do a quick recap um, what the three pillars are, and then we can kind of dive in a little bit deeper um, into kind of some of the ways that you've been helping me prepare for the upcoming world championships and and some of the new models that you've been working on. So um, maybe just give us the, the quick recap on your three pillars. Totally. So, um, and, and the three pillars, you know, is really a combination of research and my last over 10 years of working with individuals who wanted to improve their lives. And so it's kind of an amalgamation of, of both of those things. So the three pillars are helping people to get more in contact with the present, um, knowing that more and more we're living on autopilot and in that doing, doing, doing mode. And as well, on the performance side, if we're wanting to get in touch with flow and with doing our best, we do have to get out of the overthinking part of our mind. Um, so there's the performance side, but also just living more holistically and wholeheartedly. We want to figure out how to do that with more awareness. So getting in contact with the present is the first pillar. Some people have more practice in that. Some people that's totally new um, yep. and you know, everyone can benefit from that more and more. The second pillar is then getting in charge with mindset and emotions. So that's that's two side. I suppose that's kind of top down and bottom up. So bottom up <clears throat> is regulating the state and getting better at understanding and naming our emotions, what's happening, what's the impact of that, given that we're all human, we're going to have the breadth of emotional experience. So the skills to help us really live flexibly with them and also so that our combination of the emotion and the mindset part doesn't get in our own way so developing a really purposeful mindset that's both going to prepare you to do your best but also in the moment be really aware of what kind of stuff you could stumble on in your own personal roadblocks and having the skills to bring your best self and mindset kind of forward in that way yep and then the third pillar now we would have touched on this a little bit last time for what um, we might speak more about today the third pillar I talk about kind of getting going with compassionate drive instead of motivating ourselves kind of with threat, motivating ourselves with compassion. And another part of that is a lot of that understanding your purpose, understanding your values, understanding who you really are underneath all of the thinking part of your brain and getting going with that part of yourself. So that's the third pillar. Awesome. <clears throat> well, as a as a recap already, it gets me like my mind just like spinning on all these different things and ways that I should be training differently and and, and always like how to like better pre prepare my mindset. It's interesting because one thing I don't even know if we talked about it on our last podcast or not, but just within performance itself, um, at least for for myself, and <clears throat> I mean I've been doing this. I don't know, 15 years competing or something like that. Um, 
And every year, I probably value the mindset of preparing for competition and competing more and more heavily as we go. Meaning that like when I started, I already knew that mindset, um, you know, was a part of competing and and all that kind of stuff. And I actually, I don't know if it was just that, um, we spoke about this online, offline as well, but just visualization. I've always been doing visualization since I was a young kid. And I think part of that was, that uh, maybe I had ADHD or whatever, but I'd be in like science class or or whatever, anything that didn't really catch my attention. And I would just be like visualizing kayaking or doing whatever. Um, and so then through that, I I just kind of built this um, skill. I don't even, I don't know if it's a skill or not, but, but the idea of like visualizing and the ability to visualize um, whenever I want. Um, and so... I, I kind of always knew that that was a part of it, and, and I did that when I was young, but I always thought like mindset was, you know, 15% competing, and then it, the rest is all skill and, and whatever, and the more, and then I got to a point where I was like, no, no, it's like, it's like a solid 50-50, and now I'm like, no, I think it's like 85 to 15, where it's like, it's mainly mindset, and, and I and I see this at the highest level where, and this is where people maybe don't fully believe us. Like when I would say, you know, it's 85 and maybe more, but 85%, at least at this point in my career, maybe we talk again next year and I'll say it's 90 or whatever. Um, but, but I think it's, it's, I would weigh mindset so, so heavily in the sense that once you get to the peak of any sort of performance, whether it be NHL, NBA, you know, name any sport. And if you're in the world championships, you're competing against the best of the best. And so for the most part, everybody's all got the same skill. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's got the same skill. You've got the same tricks. You've got the same everything. I mean, I think it was within... Um, you know, you go to the 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 Olympics and you're you're looking at sprinters, right? They're all within, you know, tenth of a second at the like from first to last is maybe a second, if anything. And it's probably a tenth of a second and, and then the top three are all split up by a hundredth of a second. Um and and so when it gets down to when it's that fine line of like, you know, winning or not winning, or making the podium, or not making the podium, or whatever it is that you're trying to do, so much of it I find is mindset, and and a big part of that too is um, is is keeping the doubt at bay and just like holding the focus. Like I, I I'm always intrigued by like NASCAR drivers and stuff like that that they're doing. You know, in one case <clears throat> they're doing 500 laps, and you're like, wow, they're they're just doing left turns for 500 laps. Okay, good, good on them. But but in a, in a much deeper way, you're like, wow, the the focus that they have to have for hours. Do you know what I mean? Um, like, yeah. it's keep it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll touch in. You know, like even just your mention on the visualization and training that it's it's a form of mental representation and mental rehearsal that you're doing from an early stage. And the great thing is you were doing it just out of you know, playfulness, like you wanted to get out of yeah. the classroom and, you know, under the water and where could you do that except for in your mind. Mm-hmm. But it kind of speaks to the idea that your mental skills are portable. You know, you were 
rehearsing and practicing being on the water while you were, you know, in some biology class. And it speaks to that idea that your mental skills, your frameworks that you have are portable. You can take them wherever you go. And so, yeah, possibly that journey earlier on when you're really practicing, like the skills have that have the stronger kind of weight to them. Mm-hmm. And then over time, journey shifts and it becomes mindset more and more and more, particularly as you level up. And, and also just as you face different struggles and pressures, your skills don't need to change to face those, your, your ability to respond and adapt rather than react and then get out of your kind of peak performance state, you know, gets more important as well. Yeah. Um, and then the thing I was going to say, but yeah, with the, with the mindset stuff, oh, he was, here's what I was going to say when you said that um, it's that a really strong requirement to keep the doubt at bay moment to moment and all of the like environmental sensory input that can come in that's different from when you've been training when it's you know an actual crucial moment in performance the really there's this dilemma between training your mind to stay focused and clear and positive because we know that positive state is really important to doing your best Mm -hmm. but as well not getting so caught up in never having a negative thought. I think that's the other flip side to the mindset is there's a lot more rhetoric out there of like needing to have positive thoughts and positive thinking, but you're still human. You're still going to get doubtful or get annoyed if you've, you know, made a wrong turn in a way that you knew you could have done better. And so it's, it's this dilemma between getting you really focused in the moment so you can stay clear and positive and just, in the zone for what you want to focus on, but not getting so rigid that you think, oh no, there's a negative thought. That's going to put off my performance. I need to get rid of it. And then you're in this fight with yourself. So it's a real, it's a nice balance between both allowing what's there while training to, to, to really be in your, in your best state as well. Yeah. I I like that a lot. And what you're explaining is, 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 Something that I'm trying to work on in the sense that in the past, I've always had um, like a pretty set routine and and then I would just visualize it a ton and I would be like very focused. And But then at the same point, if that routine, you know, if um, got out of sync or something like that or the wave, it didn't, everything wasn't going exactly as planned, it would just fall apart because I was like, it was almost like, I have the path so laser focused that if the path, you know, travels a little bit, it ju- it you're just off a cliff and it's gone. Whereas my father-in-law, who's also um, a four-time world champion, and he taught me a lot about competing and and stuff like that as well. But he he preaches and and his you know methodology or method uh, methodology that's the word I was looking for um, is what he calls a, a broad external focus. And so he likes to really like look around and, and, you know, wave at his wife and, and see the judges and really get this external focus to like pull yourself out of the mind and more into the present moment. Um, And so, and that's not something that I kind of like maybe a little bit of an in-between. Like I still like to plan that routine and visualize because I just like visualizing and probably because it keeps me entertained when, um, life, you know, isn't entertaining for me or or whatnot. But, but I think there's like a great balance in between doing both where you want to have the focus and the mental clarity of what we're going after, but also the flexibility to kind of take 
what life throws at you because life is never perfect and there are always unforeseens that just occur. And whether that be, you know, not getting enough sleep because your kids were sick all night, which I've competed that way before, and or, you know, um, or the finals get moved up an hour and your your whole like preparation time gets shifted and all these things like things life just happens. And so you, you can never prepare for all of the unknowns. Like obviously you can try your best to prepare, but there's always going to be things that you didn't account for or situations that who could have ever accounted for. Do you know what I mean? And so um, I think trying to have that flexibility in there is 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 pretty key as well. And and I think at least what you were explaining, that's kind of how I'm internalizing it is like kind of having a little bit of both there. Yeah. Being really flexible in, in your actual, so the way I talk about it, this is particularly back to that idea of getting in contact with the present is you're responding to the reality you are in, not the reality you wish you were in. Mm. So you're able to say, Oh, okay. My plan hasn't gone to plan, but this is where I am now. And how am I going to, respond to that and, and bring who I want to be now, I like that. not in planning. <clears throat> what, what do you think would be like, uh, maybe this is easier said than done, but what's like a great way to try to help train for that, to, to maybe create some of that flexibility where you still have a plan. And, and I think something that you said, and maybe again, I don't want to be putting words in your mouth, but this might be in line with what we're talking about. On, on our past episode, one of the things that you had said that I really loved, one of my favorite parts was when you spoke about having a goal, but holding it gently instead of like strangling it. And um, and I was going to ask about like how we can do that better. And, and and maybe that's kind of in line with with kind of, you know, having that goal with, you know, the present moment and what you're trying to achieve for, but also being flexible to kind of just take with whatever life throws at you as well. Uh, it's probably a similar skill set for both. And I'm just curious if, if you have um, any great ways to kind of like to, whether it be like training for that or kind of prepare for, for that or kind of get into a little bit more of a flexible mindset and just, yeah, way of life. Yeah. So, and a couple of things. One is the idea that you have actually done those thousands of hours of training can really like, that's still an important part. And that's back to mindset versus actual training and rehearsal. Because if you know that you've actually, you've done this before, you've dealt with changes before, that's something that you can embody in the moment too. And that's almost even just rehearsing to remind yourself, mm-hmm. this is different, but I've been different. I know this, I can do this. And so I think a little part of it is coming back to your own expertise and really recalling the fact that you have done this a million different ways and so you can do it this way too. So I think in one way it's still that, it's still reminding you of your expertise and, and so that you can like be in the moment, not just what you had planned. And then, yeah, the other one, so I suppose it's twofold. I think there is one where it's training in the mundane so that then you can do it in a spectacular. So if if you've become super aware when you're packing away the dishwasher that you're thinking about something that's happening later in the day and you've been training that little muscle to go, oh, and how does this dish feel? Like it's cold or it's slippery or there's like food stuck on it. And just a little moment where you've trained in the mundane to realize where you are and then bring yourself, you know, in your mind and then bring yourself back to where you really are. Mm-hmm. 
be better placed to then train in the spectacular as well. Because if you're trying to do that for the very first time in a really high intensity moment, that's asking a lot of yourself. So we don't want to just train for when this is really crucial to me. We want to train for when it's not crucial to you as well. And as well, because that's also bringing back that holistic idea. I'm not just on about having better performance. I'm on about doing better living. Yeah. Um, so there's that part, right? So I think in terms of how do we train, I think we train in in the normal and then we bring it into our kind of critical turning points, our choice point moments is what I call them. So there's one. And then the other is there's a really, it's, it's a really nice practice of before, you know, as part of your kind of routine, your performance routine where you're gearing in and, and you're uh, visualising and, and setting up and going through your routines, it's a really nice part of having a moment in there where you go, and how do I want to be? You know, whether it's going to be that I'm going to be clear, I'm going to execute and I'm I'm going to be, you know, confident or whatever the three, you know, I would normally suggest like two or three words and that's something that my mentor taught me. You know, I love having lots of words that they were like, your brain can really only hold two or three words at a time. So two or three words about how do I want to be mm-hmm helps me as well to remember that when things are off course uh, action-wise or in my environment, which are the things that I can't control, I can still bring who I want to be in that. So if I'm going to be clear according to how I planned it or, you know, clear or confident, and then how does that look here? I'm again bringing that ability to be more flexible because I've gotten real a lot clearer on who am I that I'm bringing forward into this. So that's another part is is getting to know who you want to be better, <laughs> which taps into a little bit about the third part that we'll talk about when it when it. Yeah, well, we're we're about to get there in a second, but but I love the just really focusing on the being, um, and within the first steps on like trying to just train how to you know hold that goal and how to, how to do it um, gently. You had said something that reminded me of. Um, an article I read, actually, I've, I've, I've put it away in a box of all sorts of stuff of like keepsakes over the years. <clears throat> but on my way to Switzerland, when I won the world championships, I happened to just be like flipping through the airplane magazine, in-flight magazine. And there was an article from Serena Williams. And it was something about like her talking about her journey to success and why she's so phenomenal as an athlete and one of the things she said that when she goes into competition she'll take a moment of uh, like a focus and and really just like recognize okay I'm gonna harness my 10,000 hours my 20 years of experience and I'm gonna grab all of that experience and I'm gonna hold that for the next moment and for this next like five minutes and and the idea that you can take all that experience uh, and and use that like in the sense that, okay, I've got that all behind me. I've got that in my back pocket, you know, my 10,000 hours of all this training that I've put into this and I'm, and I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm prepared. And now I'm going to take on the moment and, and it almost gives more of that, um, that flexibility in the being in the present moment, because you know that you have that to rely on. You're like, okay, if, if something doesn't go as, as planned, cool. I've trained all these days. I'm sure I've seen this before. Do you know what I mean? And I'm ready for it. I'm ready. I'm as ready as I can ever be. Um, And then there was another thing when you were talking about visualizing too that I thought was interesting. 
And it reminded me from a study, and I don't remember which book I read it from, if it was uh, maybe um, Michael Gladwell's book or if it was from Mind Gym or or where it was. But I, I heard about this study once where <clears throat> a basketball team, and I don't think... It, I don't even think it was like NF or NBA. I think it was like college or high school basketball. But they took the their group of uh, of athletes and they split them up into three groups. And one group focused on just throwing free throws. Uh, fit, like that was all they did in the gym was they just throw free throws all day long and they just trained that for the whole training session. The next group trained um, just visualizing just visualizing throwing free throws and sinking them every time. And then the third group did both. They would visualize and then they'd throw and then they'd visualize and they would throw. And they, they would like, you know, cycle back, uh, back and forth between the, the, the two, the third group outperformed so heavy that they stopped the study and they just took all the athletes and they said, we're all doing this because it is so much more superior than the other two techniques. Um, that they just they just stopped it and they're like this is like outperforming everybody so much that we're all just going to do that and and it it got me thinking like it's so true that the ability to visualize like one and maybe this is why I love visualizing too is that you can be perfect it's like the one place like in your mind you can be perfect there you can have no mistakes if you want and if there are mistakes you just go back and do it again and then it's perfect you know what i mean um but then like you do that enough times that then you go into reality and you start just like your your body knows what you're looking for you know what you're trying to do and and so um anyway it's uh yeah i, I no, think we those can two skills really yeah. about it it's <laughs> like a neuroscience backing to it of your you really are priming the neural pathways they're lighting up as though you're when you are visualizing clearly your neural pathways are lighting up as though you're physically acting on it too so there's and that's a great study i haven't come across it so um yeah exactly you you are you're rehearsing um, yeah do it yeah and i'm sure i i heard something too but you're you're explaining it in a much more uh succinct clear way that that the brain really can't differentiate between a, like physically doing something and and visualizing that you're doing it um because like in the brain the connect like it's the same um whereas in you know reality you're not moving your arms but if you think you're moving your arms then the the signals still fire the same way anyway we're, we're kind of going off on a little tangent here this is awesome i want to kind of get back onto um the third pillar and, and the compassion side of things and um and your new kind of concept that you've been working on with coaching about using compassion as a fuel for performance. Um, you want to dive a little bit deeper and maybe explain a little bit more on, on kind of what you've been working on with that. Yeah, for sure. So, so this has been really such a pivotal part, I think to my work because a lot of people who I work with often have some kind of a reaction to this idea of compassion, like, Oh, it sounds really nice, but you know, it's not for me. And my hope is that we see how we can actually turn toward ourselves with kindness and curiosity, but it, that it's also seen as the best lever you can pull to do your best. You know, compassion is not just for people who want to feel better. Compassion is for the ambitious as well. So, you know, what we're talking about is how you approach yourself and motivate yourself with the science of self-compassion to flourish and excel in hard things. That's kind of the, the 
foundation of what it is that we're talking about. And a lot of it did stem from the people who I've worked with who are successful or just have really high standards of themselves, despite that outward greatness, really struggle with feeling enough. And and that's almost like a bit of a human condition where we Mm -hmm. can feel undeserving even when we've done really well or we worry whether we're really going to be enough to do it again or what if someone notices that I'm anxious or that I'm questioning this and then maybe that means I'm not really cut out for it what if I'm not successful again and so there's this sneaky underlying sense that I might not be a good enough racer or a good enough teammate or good enough manager or parent or partner you know we all have kind of our own unique combination of being too hard on ourselves So compassion, the work around compassion is kind of an antidote to that, to bring a more grounded sense in who I am as a human. And then when I do that, I'm not going to get as caught up in my own setbacks when I face them because I am a human who's going to have failures and fall on my face and just not do as well as I know I could do sometimes. But when I'm able to bring back a really compassionate way of motivating myself and of seeing myself, that I'm going to be able to keep taking risks and keep putting myself on the line because if I'm enough, I'm never risking my sense of self. And so that, and we kind of touched a little bit on that idea last time. So, you know, particularly in the realm of performance, but also just in the realm of anyone who's wanting to bring their best to what they want to do. If we're going to do these kind of big things or we're going to take on some challenges or professional changes that are daunting we'll need to be able to look at the fear and discomfort that underpins a lot of that. And that will take courage because we're facing and and approaching the stuff that's not easy. And you get courage with compassion. So the compassion stuff, the more I've worked in it, the more passionate I am about it. So that's kind of my my overview on it. Well, I love that. I I, kind of want to dive deeper into how you get more courage through compassion or with compassion um because everything that you're saying is is amazing and and i love how you were talking about you know compassion is is for you know anyone that's that's trying to achieve more and 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 all of that it's not like that you know if or uh but it can be and um and so and and there was something also that you mentioned that I think we've, you know, spoke with offline and if not, I'm going to send you a, a great book about this. Um, but a, a kayaking monk friend of mine, he wrote a book and he talks about this principle called the donut hole or the donut life where it's a common trait with high achievers. You're, you're continually trying to just achieve more to fill this empty void that's like you cannot fill it. It's, it's, it's an un ending whole and you're just trying your best to achieve more. I, I I need to validate, you know, myself, my success, my life, whatever it might be. Um, <clears throat> and he talks about what you're talking about with compassion and with just being and being present and, um, and being enough and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think just taking the moment to recognize that that's okay. Uh, and something that I'm continually trying to work on is like this fine balance of, trying to be present, trying to enjoy the moment and the life that I've created, but still trying to um, 
reach for more in the sense that I know that my that I have more potential. You know what I mean? And, and so the potential for me is the driving factor where it's like, I want to be the best that I could possibly be. And, and there was always more. And then as you get more then the potential grows too. So it's it, that on its own, I'm aware is a never ending cycle. Um, but trying to balance that with this being like, okay, I, I want to achieve more and I want to be more and I want to like aim for this, these higher goals, but I also need to recognize what a great day today is or what a great day, you know, I, I, this moment in life that I'm at right now or, or the level, even if I'm at a level and I want to be at this level up here, enjoy that this level is still great and I'm still higher than I was, you know, yesterday or a year ago or 10 years ago or whatever it might be. And so trying to like to balance that as well, there's actually, I'm going to send you two books. Um, one of them is, um, I'm rereading it again right now. It is Chasing More and Finding Enough. Um, and then the other one is The Gap and the Gain, uh, both great books that kind of talk about this. But anyway, I'll, I'll get your mailing address. I'm going to send you some books after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. And that sounds really right up my alley. And, you know, you've used that word balance a lot, and I think that's what we're talking about. It's never one or the other. You know, taking bold action is never just discipline. It's discipline and compassion. It's not either or or one or the other. It's both. Um, and part of... Part of that balance is that flexibility between your your ability to visualize that high, this is something I'm working on with a client at the moment, that balance between your high, hard goals, your sense of potential, your sense that I'm always going to be able to do more and reach for more and this like enoughness and and, and enjoying the moment and being able to take the most out of what I'm, I'm doing right now as well. And so it, it's that flexibility and that balance again, rather than one or the other, it's both. Total with personal, the, with the, personal question, quick. Yeah. Do you do do you do yoga? Um, no, I no. have done in the past. I, I I only ask this. I ask this because um, for me, yoga is such a great way to one. It helps me stretch, which I certainly need more of. But two, it helps me live in the present moment a little bit more. Like for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the music or if it's the stretching or if it's just the the piece of like calming and I'm not doing other stuff, which it probably more than anything it is. And working on the breath work and like being aware of your breath and all that kind of stuff. Um, for whatever reason, it helps me live in the moment a little bit more and, and remind myself to just like be in the moment, you know, every day, just a little bit more. Anyway, sorry, keep going takes the principles into bodily action and bodily movement, which is, which is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one, it's on my, every now and then I'll do like a nice little 20 minute flow. And it's something that is definitely on my wish list. And, and look, you, you asked about that idea of wanting to be more curious about that courage. It, it takes compassion to really get into that. You know, you get courage with compassion is that idea. And I think, a lot of this comes back down to we've got some of the wrong ideas about how to motivate ourselves the best, how to get that courage the best. What seems intrinsically like it makes the most sense is that we get a bit bullheaded with ourselves, like really fiery, but in not the best way. We get more harsh and more punitive and more critical. And this is coming back to this idea that, you know, high performance sometimes can really come from really healthy high standards and like values-based action. But a lot of the time it also comes from this fight or flight 
perfectionism. You know, every time I make a mistake or don't do as well as I know I could, the self-critique can be unrelenting. And we know that, you know, athletes and people at the top end of their performance, but as well just in the general population, we really commonly beat ourselves up when there's a disappointing result and we tend to be our own worst critic. Um, and, and often as well, people also think that it's that's what makes them successful, that that critical part is what makes them courageous or is what will make them work harder. But we've got that wrong. Courage doesn't come from beating yourself with a stick. Courage really does come from motivating yourself with a much different system. And the science is catching up and I think generally we're catching up with this idea that being kind and gentle with yourself instead of that harshness, that's going to help you attain your goals. You know, compassion doesn't make you complacent or passive. In fact, compassion aids your progress. It aids that courage. It helps you to have that highly attuned focus on what you're getting done. It reduces the fear of failure. And, and also the research is backing this up. Like it's associated with improvements in performance, in ability to bounce back. In one study, I've got a couple studies I'm going to shoot it at you because yeah, I throw. love the fact that it's all grounded in the evidence. So in one study, people who, again, believed that self-criticism was what was going to get them to do their best had no effect on performance, whereas mm. self-compassion improved it. So, so we're really looking at this idea that there's this new way of doing well it's not new but there's a different way of doing things and another you mentioned you know mindfulness I, I love how in the athletic and performance field mindfulness has got a great seat at the table now you know but one study found that self-compassion uh, they studied self-compassion and mindfulness and found that self-compassion had an additional variance of 18 percent above mindfulness in in getting into flow hmm. and so you know, it's it's over and above mindfulness is it's helping us there, which is so good. And if mindfulness and attention training already gets a fair look in, self-compassionate practice is at least equal to it, if not more. It's kind of what we're looking at. You had mentioned in doing self-compassion to just like recognize that we're human and that we make mistakes as an athlete. And, and like what you said, just all individuals are are pretty harsh on ourselves and we could be our own, you know, worst critique or worst critic um what might be a better way like just again as myself and just as an athlete i recognize that we hold ourselves certainly to a high standard in the sense of like okay my performance needs to be here and if it isn't then i'm probably hard on myself what's a great way to just like to brush it off and just be like hey you know, and, and again, I try my best to, to usually do that. And, and more often than not in training, I'll just get out and I'll be like, okay, I just need a breather. I need, maybe I need some food. Maybe I need some energy and whatever hydration and I'll come back. But in competition, it's a little bit, it's a little different sometimes because you don't get a second tra chance. It's not, yeah, it's kind of like you, you, you've got this moment to perform. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out how to use compassion maybe to preface that competition and maybe regardless, you know, going into it, but also post results there, again, there's only going to be one winner. And so a lot of people don't win and, and trying to be okay with that as well. And we talked a little bit of that on our last episode as well, but just how do you think the best way that we could be more just compassionate with ourselves? 
Yeah. And I'll also, I'll like talk you through my three steps, yeah. but, but as well, like I wanted to mention, it's not only actually when you do not as well or badly, I would say compassion is also really important for when you win. Like we know that when you actually have a really amazing, amazing win, you ride that high for a little while and then there's a real slump. It's, it, it's really hard. And there's, yeah. you know, lots of people talking about how they hit you know areas of depression after the olympics and stuff like that you know there's this it's really hard mentally to to be a human losing but also to be a human winning big sometimes you know so um i, I will mention sometimes it isn't even is just in small tweaks it doesn't have to be like these radical big new things you're doing but a small tweak around that is even if you know that your performance wasn't acceptable you are still acceptable so there's a real difference there you can accept yourself and not accept your performance or accept yourself and say this could this was not my best and can be done better so there's we're really like working hard to draw a line around ourselves and what we do um and 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 that will help as well so let me so I'll just say what what I am actually saying, what is self-compassion? And then I'll take you through the kind of three ways that I do it. And I'm aware of time, but we'll we'll at least map it out. So what self-compassion is, is a clear-sighted, courageous, and kind self-attitude. And, you know, a lot of people with generally like a high value of kindness who love the people around them would generally say, yep, like I'm compassionate in that way. But if you flip it around, a lot of the people who even demonstrate really high levels of care and like value on others are not necessarily kind towards themselves. So compassion is doing that same thing that you do for others flipped around. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that kind of kind and wise and non-condemning attitude. It's also a commitment to doing something about that discomfort. It's not simply like a soft feeling it's also the responsibility and courage to be really present with what's disappointing or really difficult and then doing something about it by taking better acts of kindness towards yourself in response to life's challenges. So it's that. It's both the attitude part plus the action part around, around compassion. Yeah. And so the things that I've really worked on saying, how do we develop compassionate drive or what, am I, what are we talking about when we're talking about this is we want to know ourselves we want to accept ourselves and then we want to move ourselves into bold action with this kind of different frame of mind. So know yourself, accept yourself, and then you can move yourself differently. So there's that kind of. One of the things about about kind of what you're talking about that I had heard, and I don't remember if this was in a parenting book or a sports book or what, but it was about um, the fact that when we're our own we're our our own worst critic um we would say things to ourselves like in our head or about ourselves that we would never say to anybody else and so um something that i try to remind myself of and 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 my kids and my family and my friends is like talk to yourself like you would a best friend and and if what you're saying about yourself whether it be verbally externally which is even worse but but internally if it's not what how you would talk to a best friend then we probably need to like reword what we're saying um and and simply because like 
like what you're saying is probably not what you would even say to a worst enemy. Do you know what I mean? Like you you can be so harsh and so self-critical that you would just like put yourself in down so like aggressively that you'd be like, whoa, I, I would never say that to like anybody else and, and certainly never say that like out loud. But for whatever reason, we we allow ourselves or we think it's acceptable to say it about ourselves, like in your own mind. Um, and so I think that's just like a part when, uh, anyway, that's what I try to remind myself of. Like when I get self-critical is be like, okay, is this like a way that I would speak to a friend? And if not, um, maybe, maybe I need to be a little bit lighter on myself. Yeah. Yeah. And let me, so that, we, one of the things I talk about as we're getting to move ourselves differently, we're motivating ourselves using a different system other than the self-critic. The way I talk about it is that we're trying to be our inner coach rather than our inner drill sergeant, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's exactly what you're speaking about is how am I actually talking to myself? And the other question I have is what's the tone as well? You know, like, um, come on, you can do better. Could sound so different depending on tone. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on, you can do better. Or yeah. come on, you can do better. You know, there's such a different tone in that that has such a different message. And and so we're really thinking quite clearly about how to talk to yourself and bringing in that inner coach. And so, and you mentioned that idea, how would I talk to a best friend? How would I talk to my kid? You know, depending on the situation, that that is such a great skill to hone. And And I would also say possibly when it's like in your choice point moments, when it's in your pretty high pressure moments. That's where I really like the, the language of the inner coach because it might not entirely be how you're like soothing a kid who's fallen over or had a hard day at school. You might need to have a bit more fire, you know, you're still yeah. getting them into action, but it's it's not using the critic. It's using that kind of inner coach. Mm-hmm. And there's this great study that I came across um, and it's like long haul research again that, that humans perform better under pressure with that inner compassionate coach so a team of organizational psychologists studied the nba and they found that a coach's behavior in a single season influenced some of their performance in terms of the trajectory for the rest of their career and so it was like 700 players that they evaluated and when the coaches or leaders had a more abusive style they saw a drop in performance not just in that season but that trajectory in their career took a shift in a downward notch And this idea of abusive leadership that was characterized, like how it was defined in the research, as someone who blamed or ridiculed their coaches or were rude or hostile. And that sounds so much like what we do when we're self-critical. We blame, we ridicule, we're rude, we're more hostile to ourselves. So, you know, imagine what that's doing for our own ability to perform under pressure if that's the kind of, you know, drill sergeant voice that we're hearing under pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say it's it's intriguing and it and it I that study gets me thinking all sorts of different ways like it's as a parent it makes me like wonder like oh man, I I wonder if I've ever been like critical of a child or something like that and that like puts them on a different path than maybe they could have been and like all this stuff but but certainly stuff that we do to ourselves probably at a regular basis and and again, for whatever reason we think it's okay to be this harsh upon ourselves. Um, and I don't know if it's, it's the mindset that they, that maybe it has been taught or maybe whatever that like by being more harsh upon ourselves, it's, it's, 
you know, lighting that fire a little bit, you know, stronger. And you you had talked about like, you know, the the fire that what I would think of being like a little bit more aggressive uh, in preparation or within sports itself. Um, but you were talking about like how compassion and, and how some of your studies, compassion is now having like a seat at the table. And it got me thinking about like a specific event in particular where we were, this was a race versus freestyle competition or something, but I was at the starting line with a, with a friend of mine and, and he was like getting all like pumped up and like yelling and being like, okay, time to get angry. And I, and I was just like taken aback. I was like, um, that's not how I do it. Like, and, and even, even just like, it it was, it blew my mind actually. Cause I was like, what does anger have to do with like performance? Like that is just not the way that I prepare for it. Um, but even like hearing, you know, a lot of different people and a lot of athletes have like pump up soundtracks or, or playlists or whatever that they listen to. And, um, it's interesting because I've, I've varied, you know, through different styles throughout, throughout my career as well. Um, but, but I actually find that like, I'm, I probably compete the best with like some decently uh, paced classical music, like something that's not like crazy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, cause classical music, I don't know for whatever reason it like soothes me, but it can still like pump me up at the same time. And, um, it's, it's interesting. Um, because it's the same with like almost like an energy drink. Like when I was younger, I would drink maybe like a Red Bull before a competition or something thinking that's going to help me. And I would just get like, it would just immediately make me like super anxious and I would have like a horrible performance. And so, yeah, it's interesting how different people prepare for competition. And, um, but yeah, I like the compassionate mindset and, and just like bringing a little bit more presence to the moment and compassion just like with yourself with the moment with the performance with just with the whole surrounding and I think that's kind of what we talked about too with that balance with kind of just like dealing with you know your mental visualization or or your goal or where where you're trying to get to versus like reality and how life is just gonna be a little bit different um and and kind of uh accommodating it and just being flexible and kind of you know taking life how it throws at it at you yeah and, and you know I will say you know you mentioned oh I wonder what I do with my kids honestly uh like I am a work in progress in this stuff and yeah like sometimes if my kids are grinding my ears I go more often than I'm proud of I go into this like frustrated state and I just want them to stop straight away and they're like making yeah. their life hard making it hard on each other you know it's really hard. It's not natural. We do really have this threat system that takes hold very quickly, which is like our punitive, harsh kind of system where it's it's the more easy system to tap into. But the cool thing is we also, it's not the only system we're left with. And this is where the science comes over it. Paul Gilbert talks heaps about it. He's this kind of researcher in, in compassion. He talks about our soothing system. And it's another system that we have that was also evolved to like keep us safe and get us to have, you know, our best life, which is where if we meet our human needs and our goals, then we're also going to be able to go and like do the best thing and get really goal oriented, you know? So when we're in a space of safety and calm and soothing, we're also going to be more likely to go, Oh, things are okay. Now I can go get it rather than just 
things are terrible, go get it just in case. You know, it's it's a really different system from the threat to soothing to get into our best. And so this idea of using compassion is when when we're able to kind of meet our human needs and goals when we're feeling calm and connected and content, then we're we're really being able to take our values and what inspires us and pick you up when you fall and then go get it as well. So there's still really that fiery action underneath, but it can come from a much different way of motivating ourselves. Yeah, I love I love the idea of using compassion. You're taking compassion and and you're going to create like the best athletes, the best parents, the best version of our our like each one of us ourselves. This is awesome. It it reminds me that I need to take a deep breath, focus on the present moment and and just really try to bring more of that compassion into my everyday life um no matter what it might be. Um Susanna, I'm I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name right again. Um we we're kind of running out of time, so I'm going to run a couple quick I I honestly I could talk with you for hours about this kind of stuff. This is super interesting to me and and I just I love the mindset. I love I love your your thoughts on the whole thing and just your pillars, just everything. This is amazing. Um but I'm going to ask a, a couple quick questions. I asked you before. I'm going to see if any of them are different. Otherwise, we'll kind of just wing through this pretty quick through the fire round. <clears throat> Susanna, do you have uh, a favorite quote or current quote that you live by, whether it be new or whether it be the same one that we had uh, on our last interview? Um, I, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's a current one at least, which mm-hmm. is back to this whole idea that um, – we want to create an environment where people play to win instead of playing not to lose. Cause that mm. really captures a lot of what I'm talking about. That's from Steve Magnus. So that's one of my like fun quotes of the moment. I love that play to win instead of playing not to lose. Yeah, I mean, there we could go so deep into mindset that and, and just self-talk and all that. But I love that quote. That's, that's amazing. Do you have um, a favorite book or a current, current book that you uh, might be reading? probably one of the two that you're definitely going to send me. I am. I'm going to, I'm going to send you, there are two amazing books. I'm going to send them as soon as we're done this. Um, the yeah. one I'm, I, I, I mentioned last time, I just love whatever it is that I'm reading at the moment. The one I'm reading at the moment is mindfulness in plain English. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not in the performance realm. It's just in the mindfulness realm, but I'm really loving that. Um, and the one that I'm very excited to read is the mindful athlete by George Mumford. That's on mm-hmm. my to read list. I like that. Very much in the athlete. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a look at those books and I'm going to send you a couple as well. I think you're really going to like uh, both of both of the the books that I'm sending you. But it's uh, Chasing More and Finding Enough um, and uh, The Gap and the Gain. So anyway, you'll you can uh, mailbox stock and and wait for those to show up. Um, Um. I don't know if I asked you this before, if you could give one piece of advice to a younger self, what, what might it be? You didn't. Um, something around, oh, it's so cheesy, this kind of my responses to this, but something around like you're always evolving. That has mm. been my, a really exciting shift for me in these last couple of years is realizing like I was always on the path to do one-on-one clinical psychology work and that was all. And, I, you know, it's still something I'm so grateful and privileged to have been able to do. 
but that was it's been a really big shift for me to be like, oh, wait, if I'm not a clinical psychologist, like, who am I? What do I do? Um, and, and to realize like all of that, you know, you're always evolving. Change is always around the corner in life mm-hmm. and in yourself. You're never just one thing. So, yeah. So true. I love that. Um, one of my favorite questions, again, that I ask, and I've asked you this, but sometimes it changes in the moment. So if today was your last day on earth and everything that you've done, all the work that uh, that you've created, all your your keynote speeches, all your clinical work, it was all to go away with you, but you could leave three truths, three things that you believe to be true. This could be for your family, your friends, for future generations. What might your three truths be? Okay. So one would be don't just live for safety and avoiding discomfort. Like do the things that make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, two would be probably get off your phone and live life because that's going to be how you connect to others. Like it's living richly with other people around you rather than all the stuff that you think you need. Um, they're the two really big ones. It's like people and living richly. I think those two kind of really just capture it for me right now. I don't know if I have a third one in mind. I'm sure I would if I thought about it. But, I, you know, it's really funny. Everyone who I work with, there's always this, there's like a goal orientation, right? There's always like a performance or a potential thing. But inevitably, it always also swings around to ourselves and our relationships and how I'm connecting to the people around me. And I'm so glad it does because, you know, I always say performance is really holistic. Um, but, you know, I'm even though I talk a lot about performance, I'm really on about living in a way that builds up a deeper relationship with those around you and with yourself because I also think that's what that's what leads to ultimate satisfaction as well. I absolutely love that. And it reminds me too so much of something that I I work with a lot of junior athletes and, and youth and something that I tell them at the world championships in particular is, um, and it's not just for junior athletes or youth, it's for anybody, but they just happen to be the ones that I work with the most. Um, and it's that no matter your result, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, Nobody's going to remember. If you don't win, nobody's going to remember. If you do win, they probably still won't remember. But guess what they will always remember is how you made them feel when you were in the eddy, on the river, on the shore with them. So just recognize that it's about creating those relationships, those bonds. And it's, yeah, life, in my opinion, life is about just being a good person. And that's what people remember. They don't remember the high achievement, the performance, all that stuff. So I love, I love your, your three truths, even if it's just two, it leaves three as uh, it leaves three for interpretation. So it's amazing. Um, Susanna, thank you so very much. Uh, again, I gained so much value out of these uh, conversations and these interviews. Something that I try to do as much as I can is provide value for my guests. So is there anything today that you are currently focusing on that I might be able to help you out with personally or or maybe my listeners? Wow. Um, so keep keep your eyes peeled a little bit. I, I'm heading on, I'm having my third baby at the end of the year, which is very exciting. But in the meantime, thank you. 
I'm developing my own kind of program designed on a lot of my work about how to, you know, train in your mental and emotional skills to thrive in your life and thrive under pressure. So keep your eyes peeled is really just my message on that. It'll be touch and go whether I get that out before <laughs> the baby comes. Um, but, you know, head head to my socials is the best way you get a lot of my updates, which is kindred.thriving on Instagram, or just go to my website, kindredthriving.com, if you want more about me and more about my one-on-one coaching, because that's still going to keep rolling out um, and, and stay in touch. Awesome. I absolutely love that. I highly encourage everybody go check her out at Kindred Thriving on social media, her website. And uh, Suzanne, I think we're going to um, anyway, I'm going to reach out after this is done. I've got some books to to send to you and, and maybe we could talk about some more stuff getting ready for the world championships. Um, final question of the day for you, because we're just over our hour timeline. Um, what is your definition of awesome today? Yes, different from, I reckon it's probably different, you know, across the weeks. My definition of awesome is when you find a way to live with more fun and growth rather than just on autopilot. That's awesome. That is truly awesome. Again, thank you so very much for your time, for this conversation, for sharing all your wisdom and your experience with myself and with our listeners. Um, For my listeners out there, if you guys got any value out of this, please, if you guys could share this out with someone that you think might need to hear this, as well as leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to your podcasts. As always, I am signing off. with Susanna. We are Susanna. I'm sorry. I just said it wrong again. Gosh, I'm getting every, every now and then I might get it right. Okay. I'm signing off with Susanna. I am Nick Troutman wishing you all truly an awesome day. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.